Welcome to the podcast. I recently ran a poll on Twitter, MeWe, Getter, and Instagram asking what topic you'd like me to address next. One of the top picks was when MDs lie. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. MDs are human. Uh, They can be mistaken just like anyone else. So when we talk about the credibility of MDs or the lack thereof, we're not talking about making honest mistakes. We're talking about saying something while knowing it's false or saying something when it's the doctor's job, the doctor's duty to know it's false. An example of an honest mistake might be a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, making a remark on social media about a point of podiatry and getting it wrong because that's not his or her area of specialization. That's almost certainly an honest mistake, not an attempt to deceive. I just mentioned a nephrologist. If a nephrologist makes a false statement about kidney function or kidney disease, that's something entirely different. When that happens, it's either gross irresponsibility or outright deceit, and it's that we're here to discuss today. I don't trust doctors as far as I can throw them. I hold that view not only from comparing the things they say against the science on various issues, but also the countless bad calls or outright screw-ups they made in my life before I studied physiology and no longer have any use for doctors. Most doctors see their job as a great, high-paying profession in which they are virtually always seen as the authority figure and sometimes even a hero. Doctors who operate from that paradigm usually aren't very proficient at their jobs because they know 99.9% of their patients will never know he or she is a poor performer. So why bust their asses to be top-notch when their patients won't know they're actually just mediocre or less? That said, there are doctors out there who see what they do as a calling and truly endeavor to do their very best for their patients. But even that healthier perspective doesn't guarantee they are skilled practitioners. Like any other field, very few doctors are excellent at what they do. In the pre-internet era, doctors enjoyed being thought of much like gods who dealt with matters far above mere mortals. But of course, things are very different now. Today, people do their own research and can decide for themselves whether they're getting the straight scoop from a doctor. Whether the average person has the ability to effectively use the internet to determine whether doctors are giving bad medical advice, misdiagnosing a patient's condition, providing improper treatment, prescribing inappropriate medications, etc., is a matter of some debate. What is not open for debate is everyone now has the technology at hand to fact-check doctors. I think it goes without saying that during the SARS-CoV-2 event, the public has lost a great deal of respect for and confidence in MDs. By my estimate, in that three-year period, the public lost more respect for MDs than in the entire rest of my life. And MDs have no one to blame but themselves for parroting to their patients whatever the establishment wanted them to say without regard to facts or science. In short, many doctors showed themselves to be pawns of the establishment rather than advocating for their patients. And when they knew the establishment was pushing non-factual propaganda on the public, few MDs had the courage to speak out. If we move away from SARS-CoV-2 and discuss more routine issues, do doctors fare any better? Sadly, no. They continue to use their title of MD to give the impression of credibility while promoting false establishment narratives, and they continue asserting things as true that have no basis in science. 
Before I give you some real-world examples, we should recall that at least in theory, we have entered into the era of evidence-based medicine. One of the most meaningful aspects of evidence-based medicine is its use in setting public health policy. In that aspect of evidence-based medicine, policymakers must determine whether a proposed policy is justified by scientific evidence. In 2020, 2021, and 2022, we witnessed that construct collapse. The policymakers in most jurisdictions were governors who, in the main, uncritically accepted whatever their state health directors told them to do and what their state health directors told them originated with the CDC. However much respect doctors lost during the SARS-CoV-2 event, increase that exponentially when it comes to the public no longer seeing CDC as credible. Nevertheless, the CDC put information out to state health directors who then regurgitated that information to the governors, who then essentially did what they were told. There was no critical analysis of the narrative anywhere in that government information pipeline. Everyone just got in line and did as they were told. That is the exact opposite of evidence-based policymaking. Does evidence-based medicine fare any better in the private sector? Well, let's examine that question by looking at a recent article appearing in the Huffington Post. The article purports to be about health. I have no idea where the author found MDs to say the things they said, but the lies, and or ignorance, is appalling. Dr. Eleanor Levin, a Stanford cardiologist, made the following statement, quote, Liver is a red meat that's extremely high in fat. In general, I avoid red meat because it's very high in saturated fat and trans fat, and in addition to being bad for the heart, saturated fat can provoke osteoporosis. Liver is especially bad because it's also the organ that filters out toxins, so any toxins are typically just sitting there. I used to eat chopped liver when I was a kid, but I haven't since I became a cardiologist. Close quote. Let's break her statement down and compare her claims with the facts. Her statement. Liver is a red meat that's extremely high in fat. Fact. Liver is one quarter as fatty as the average steak. Her statement. I avoid red meat because it's very high in saturated fat. Fact. The percentage of saturated fat in liver is exactly the same as in the average steak. Her statement. I avoid red meat because it's very high in trans fat. Fact. While trans fat produced during factory food processing is unhealthy, there is not a single shred of scientific evidence that naturally occurring trans fat, which has a different molecular structure than the man-made version, produces any adverse health effects. Her statement, saturated fat can provoke osteoporosis. Osteoporosis means losing bone density leading to bone fragility. Fact. There is not a single shred of scientific evidence that saturated fat has anything to do with osteoporosis. Not only is there no evidence saturated fat causes osteoporosis, but there aren't even any studies suggesting a correlation between saturated fat and osteoporosis. There is literally no scientific data that even discusses association between the two. Nothing. Zero. Her statement... Saturated fat is bad for the heart. Fact. As I discuss at length in body science, that claim was always a lie from the first time it was introduced in the early 1960s by Ansel Keys, and it remained a lie for 40 years until it was disproven at the turn of the 21st century. There was never a shred of scientific evidence supporting that claim. That said, there was a ton of propaganda about it. 
Dr. Levin continues to promote that anti-science propaganda. Her statement, liver is especially bad because it's also the organ that filters out toxins, so any toxins are typically just sitting there. Fact. While the liver does remove toxins from the blood, which is one of its primary functions, the liver does not store toxins. The liver does one of two things with toxins it clears from the blood. Some are converted, synthesized via enzymatic action, into other substances the body needs. What cannot be converted is excreted in your urine and feces. In other words, Dr. Levin's claim that the toxins are, quote, typically just sitting there is 100% false. Her statement, I used to eat chopped liver when I was a kid, but I haven't since I became a cardiologist. (laughs) That's propaganda intended to make people believe all that preceded this final sentence is true because she's a cardiologist. But of course, as I just shared with you, every one of her statements is either false or misleading. What I don't know is whether Dr. Levin is speaking from a disturbing level of ignorance or is knowingly lying to promote an agenda. If her statements are from ignorance, obviously no one should ever choose her as our cardiologist. If she's lying to further some agenda, who wants a cardiologist, or any doctor for that matter, who intentionally makes false anti-science statements? The next eminent physician from whom we'll hear is Dr. Elizabeth Clattis, a cardiologist based in Minneapolis. She says she avoids breakfast sausages at all costs. Quote, these are high in sodium, promoting high blood pressure and a rich source of saturated fats, which raise cholesterol readings. Kodos noted that all processed meats, including sausage, ham, and bacon, have been classified as carcinogens by the World Health Organization. So... How do her claims stand up to science? Her statement was breakfast sausages, quote, are high in sodium, promoting higher blood pressure. Fact. While that statement isn't as off the chart ridiculous as Levin's remarks, it is misleading. While it was accepted medical dogma for decades that sodium increases blood pressure significantly and dangerously, modern scientific studies show that high sodium intake has a trivial effect on blood pressure And even then, only in some people. By trivial, I mean just a few millimeters on your blood pressure measurement. As an example, if a person's blood pressure was 120 over 80, and then the person increased his sodium intake considerably, the number would only increase to the range of about 124 over 82. That increase is nowhere near what it was said to be in the late 20th century, but just like the false narrative that saturated fat causes heart disease continues to be spread despite science now knowing it isn't factual, Certain false dogmas are tough to kill. Sodium causing a significant problematic increase in blood pressure is one of them. I will also remark that sodium is essential to numerous functions in the body, and a lack of sodium is far more concerning than consuming a good deal of it. In summation, her statement isn't blatantly false, but it's misleading because it doesn't include as context the facts I just shared with you. Instead, relying on people believing and feeding into the now-debunked notion that to be healthy, people need to cut back on sodium. Her next statement is that saturated fat raises cholesterol. During the SARS-CoV-2 event, I talked a lot about the fact that things claimed to be science could not be and should not be considered valid or factual if the same or similar fact situation leads to disparate outcomes. That's the case here. When some people increase their saturated fat intake, their cholesterol numbers increase, while in others, it decreases. Dr. Claudus also conveniently fails to distinguish between the different types of cholesterol. 
You've likely heard LDL referred to as bad cholesterol and HDL referred to as good cholesterol. Increasing saturated fat virtually always increases HDL, the good cholesterol. Odd that she just happened to leave out that important distinction. It's almost like she's tailoring what she says to promote an agenda. Then she says, processed meats, including sausage, ham, and bacon, have been classified as carcinogens by the World Health Organizations. Platforms like Facebook and YouTube have a policy that people cannot contradict the World Health Organization. I don't know whether that applies only to SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, or whether these platforms have extended it to include anything and everything the World Health Organization says. In case people want to share this video on platforms that engage in censorship, I'll simply respond to the claim that items such as sausage and pepperoni are carcinogenic by asking you how much you trust the World Health Organization. And I'll leave it there. The next statement is by Dr. Leonard Lilly, Chief of Cardiology at Brigham and Woman Faulkner Hospital, and pertains to eating steak. Dr. Lilly says, quote, I avoid really fatty red meat like highly marbleized steak because it's very high in saturated fat. Clinical studies have shown that saturated fat consumption is associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes. Close quote. This is a good time to draw your attention to the phrase associated with. When you see that in media articles, you know a scam is being run on you. As an example, many forms of snack foods are high in saturated fat, but they're also high in high glycemic carbohydrates. In other words, you've got two macronutrients existing in the same food, but only one is being associated with <laughs> cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes. And in fact, it's the wrong one. How do we know it's the wrong one? Leaving science aside for a moment, we know that because millions of people are eating carnivore style, which means eating nothing but meat, and they aren't getting cardiovascular disease or cancer. So who is getting cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes? People who eat a lot of carbohydrates, and especially those who eat a lot of high glycemic carbs. I want to take special note of Dr. Lilly's claim that saturated fat is associated with diabetes. Given that type 2 diabetes is exploding in our nation, I find Dr. Lilly's misrepresentation grotesque, and I'm going to prove its faults right now. The number one source of saturated fat on Earth is animal meat. Meat has no carbohydrate, so carnivores get all the saturated fat with no carbs. There are 8 billion people on the planet. If we say that one-tenth of 1% 1 eat carnivore, that's 8 million people. If it was true that saturated fat causes diabetes, then we'd expect a lot of type 2 diabetes in the carnivore community. But that's not what we find. In fact, we find just the opposite. Of the 8 million people who are consuming the highest levels of saturated fat, absent carbs, there isn't a single person with type 2 diabetes. Why is that? Because in the absence of carbohydrates, it is physiologically impossible to get type 2 diabetes. Dr. Lilly is knowingly, willfully, and intentionally lying to people in an attempt to get them to believe diabetes is caused by saturated fat when he knows damn well it's caused by carbs. The HuffPo article goes on and on with such claims, and I'm not going to waste your time with more of the same lies and misrepresentations. I will, however, ask you if you detected a theme in the lies and misrepresentations of the three cardiologists. 
If you perceived they were sacrificing science upon the altar of an agenda, you'd be right. And that agenda is to convince people to stop eating meat by telling them it's dangerous to their health. But do you know who are the healthiest people on the planet? It's carnivores. Eating carnivore puts you into ketosis, and it is quite literally a physiological impossibility to be in ketosis and get or continue to have obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, inflammatory diseases, cardiovascular disease, or heart disease. Diseases like Alzheimer's can be prevented by living in ketosis, and when caught in the early stages, Alzheimer's can be corrected by ketosis. As I close on these three doctors, I want to point out that I can cure patients of heart disease and cardiovascular disease, but they can't, nor do they, nor do they want to. Should I point out that if they actually cured their patients of heart disease and cardiovascular disease, they'd be out of business? The takeaway from what we've just discussed is doctors will lie and intentionally mislead to push an agenda, just like lots of other people in society. If you believe they don't lie because they're doctors, <laughs> you're in for a rude awakening, likely at the expense of your own health. Before I move on, please subscribe to the channel, like this video, and share the hell out of it. Thus far, what we've discussed is doctors speaking to the press. But what about doctors who make their views known in less formal circumstances, such as on social media? Are they any more credible there than when speaking to the press? Since going into ketosis five years ago, Jen and I drink primarily water and Powerade Zero. I recently mentioned that in a tweet. I was stunned at the criticism it engendered. I was unsurprised that not a single argument people offered as to why no one should drink Zero was scientifically factual. Not one. However, because this presentation is about doctors, I'll only focus on the response of an MD. Because this doctor follows me on Twitter, I'm not going to use her name. I hope she'll continue to follow me and correct her errors. The first criticism from the MD was that I shouldn't be drinking Zero because aspartame is unhealthy. Are you ready? Zero doesn't contain aspartame. That's some damn fine doctoring right there. Her second claim was, quote, food dyes actually inhibit digestive enzymes from working as they should. Close quote. Since I know that isn't factual, I challenged her to support her claim with scientific studies. Did I get any? No, of course not. What I got was this, quote, In my world of functional medicine and root causes, with a major focus on gut health, food dyes do interfere with enzyme activities. Close quote. The only message I can take from that reply is she's saying that in functional medicine, an MD is free to say shit that isn't supported by science. I wonder how her patients would feel if they knew her approach is because I say so without regard to what science tells us. I should also point out that food dyes have been researched repeatedly over decades, and the outcome has always been the same. They do not harm you, including that they do not inhibit digestive enzyme function. Well, that's not completely true. There are two natural food dyes, which are rarely used these days, that do somewhat inhibit the actions of just two digestive enzymes. But guess what? Just like aspartame, those natural food dyes aren't in Powerade Zero. Again, impressive doctor skills. The other thing many of these doctors ignore when pontificating on whatever floats their boat is something called acceptable daily intake, or ADI. 
The principle here is that anything in overabundance is harmful, even water. As a result, in considering whether a food additive is safe or unsafe, how much is being consumed is a necessary part of the equation. Yet MDs with an agenda, or a pet issue, never mention ADI. Here's the definition of ADI. Quote, Acceptable daily intake is the maximum amount of a chemical that can be ingested daily over a lifetime with no appreciable health risk and is based on the highest intake that does not give rise to observable adverse effects. Close quote. If you heard the word chemical and immediately imagined it means substances produced in a lab or factory, that's not accurate. The definition I just shared with you is a scientific definition. In science, everything on the planet that has mass is a chemical. ADI is qualified rather easily. Under a certain quantity does not produce any identifiable health concerns, and over that amount has been scientifically shown to manifest unhealthy effects in some people. Pretty simple stuff. Not long ago, I was having a discussion with someone on social media about a food additive. I don't now recall which additive we were discussing, but she asserted it's unhealthy. I pointed out that considering the average amount consumed in the U.S., the ordinary American would have to increase consumption of that additive by a factor of 1,600 in order to reach the established ADI level. I said it to her in the same neutral manner I just shared it with you. No judgment, just data. She unfriended me, or whatever the term is on the platform where that conversation took place. While that woman was not an MD, I brought it up to point out that the MD who claimed food dyes inhibit digestive enzyme actions also didn't raise the issue of ADI, which again is an essential part of the equation when discussing whether any additive is safe or unhealthy. Let's consider Brilliant Blue food dye, also known as Blue Number One, which is one of the most common food dyes in the world. The ADI for Blue is 12.5 milligrams a day for every kilogram of body weight. That means at my weight, I'd have to consume 1,212 milligrams of Brilliant Blue to reach the ADI limit. There are 4 milligrams of Blue Number 1 in a 28-ounce bottle of Powerade Zero Mixed Berry, which is the flavor I prefer. That means I'd have to drink 303 28-ounce bottles of Mixed Berry Zero a day to reach the ADI limit. There are two takeaways from the ADI issue. First, the difference between the few bottles of zero I drink in a day and the 303 needed to reach the ADI level for blue number one highlights the significance, the necessity of taking this science into consideration when discussing such matters. Second, people with an agenda never bring ADI into the discussion. There's a reason for that. If they did, in the vast majority of cases, they wouldn't be able to push their agenda. When we look at the entirety of this presentation, the statements made by the MDs and the things they should have said if they wanted to be professional and credible, but didn't, it's clear that when science and their agenda conflict, it's science they kick to the curb. Their agenda is more important to them than is science. Of course, the four doctors we discussed today don't represent the entire MD community. What's concerning is that in all four cases we looked at today, all of them use their status as medical doctors to attempt to convince people what they were saying was scientifically valid, when in fact they were just promoting a non-factual personal agenda. Using their status as MDs to convince people that falsehoods are truth? That's pretty despicable. Here's the real concern. If you were sitting in an exam room or in a hospital and a doctor told you something that was false or intended to mislead you, how would you know? I'd know because physiology is my bag, but 
how would you know? These asshats are coming up with an agenda, and then they're mutilating science in order to assert it's supporting their agenda. I handle my business in the exact opposite way. When I begin researching a matter, I have no fixed position. As I examine the scientific evidence, I let science inform my position. And that is exactly what I did when I wrote Body Science. The reason I bring up Body Science is reading it and applying what you learn from it is the single best way to ensure you never need a medical doctor again concerning illness and disease. Since the vast majority of people are ill-equipped to know whether a doctor is speaking truth or pushing an agenda or just plain mistaken, I'd suggest the best way to deal with that situation is to not need a doctor ever again. Problem solved. Body science does that for you. The reason I wrote body science was because the propaganda put out by the kind of people we've discussed today has been winning the information war. In other words, disinformation about physiology and health generally has been winning by a long shot. What is the consequence of the disinformation winning the war? That consequence is that Americans, as a community, are the most ill people in all of human history. Think about that. We can send ships into space. We can build supercomputers. We're on the cusp of being able to grow human organs in a lab. In our hand, we hold a device that allows us to access all the world's knowledge. Yet somehow, we're the sickest people on the planet and sicker than any society in all of history. Do you think that's a coincidence? It's not. It's by design. It's the result of a massive 60-year disinformation campaign intended to profit trillion-dollar industries at your expense. Does that sound like a kooky claim? <laughs> if so, you need to read Body Science. While Body Science is a book about human physiology, presented in a way everyone can understand, in order for readers to understand why the science of physiology they discover in Body Science is so dramatically at odds with what they've been told their entire life, I had to include the history of the disinformation campaign, including naming many of the conspirators. Once readers see what these people have done and why, they can mentally let go of the falsehoods they've believed for a long time. Once you've let go of the lies, you're then able to recognize the truth about human physiology. As with all my works, in body science, I tell the reader to not blindly believe what they discover, but use it as a springboard to do their own research, which in turn will verify for them everything in body science is factual. Knowing the disinformation has been winning the war for 60 years and continues to do so, what could I do to change that? I'm just a physiologist who wants people to know the truth about human physiology and with that knowledge, leave the poisonous scam behind and get incredibly healthy. The media is a huge part of the success of disinformation. So while people like Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky can make a phone call and by the end of the day be seen and heard by millions of people, I can't. If you want to leave the scam and its resulting illness behind, you'll need to read body science. You can get body science at drreality.news, drreality.news. I'll put the link down in the notes. While you're there, check out Income Tax Shattering the Mist, which lays out the mountains of indisputable evidence that Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans. That government scam also relies on a decades-old massive disinformation campaign to get you to believe a lie is truth. Body science shows you how they're kneecapping your health 
Well, income tax shattering the myth shows you how they're kneecapping your wealth. And both books give you 100% of the information you need to end this scam in your own life if you choose to do so. I provide the facts, data, and evidence. You make the choice. Also, by purchasing Body Science and or Income Tax Shattering the Myths, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Thanks for being here. And please remember to share the video. Take care.